Welcome to the Don't Trip on the Usual Travel Podcast from Beyond Experiences. My name is Kishan. I'm going to, I'm going to be speaking with Anand today. Hey Anand. Hi Kishan. Tell me about some country which I haven't heard of or at least I don't have any information of or which is something that's going to be pretty uh, stunning. Oh, that's a tall ask. How about Borneo? Have you heard of Borneo? relatively but i don't know where i mean i know that this is i mean it it tends towards uh, something to do along the wildlife part is that right uh well lots of it is culture there's wildlife and all that but the most um, uh, stunning part of borneo or the most intriguing part of borneo is that it's one country that's actually owned by three countries ah okay that's interesting till before the war it was a different country it was owned by brunei but after the war uh, they kind of divided the place up in among uh, uh, malaysia and indonesia so okay. borneo as a country is owned by malaysia so that's malaysian part of borneo by indonesia a larger part of it that's the indonesian part of borneo mm-hmm. and then it's owned by the rest of it is owned by brunei the okay. sultan of brunei you would have heard of So the Malaysian part of uh, Borneo has got uh, Sabah and Sarawak. Okay. The Indonesian part has got Kalimantan okay. and Brunei of course is different. So with an Indonesian visa you visit the Indonesian part. So the Malaysian visa So what areas did you cover and which country did you go to? So I went in through Malaysia I intend to go through Indonesia to the Indonesian part to Kalimantan. Mm-hmm. Um the the jungles are very similar but I think the cultural base is very different. So I intend to visit uh, the Indonesian part but as of now I I visited the Malaysian part of Borneo. Okay. Um okay so let me tell you about this place here. It's it's actually fairly fascinating this old uh, the rainforest is the biggest thing in Borneo. It's about 140 million years old. lots of mammals birds plants flowering plants all kinds of things it's also the natural habitat uh, one of the few remaining natural habitats for the orangutan the borneo orangutan that's the closest uh, species to man really okay right and uh, a few others i'll tell you about them but but let's look at the name so the name brunei there is a, a school of thought that says it comes from the uh from ancient times from a sanskrit word meaning either ocean or the mythological uh, god of the seas the god of the ocean varuna okay so from there comes the word brunei the indonesian natives called it kalimantan now kalimantan means burning weather island it okay. because it's an island where the weather is always burning it's really hot and humid and all that um europeans came in the 16th century and then the name borneo emerged now coming back to the rainforest So the it's one of the few natural habitats like I told you for the uh, Borneo orangutan which is an endangered species. It's an uh, lots of other endemic species the forest species including the Borneo elephant there's a Sumatran rhinoceros the black rhino really. Uh, the Borneoan uh, clouded leopard the Dayak fruit bat lots of them lots of endemic species and it's it's just a treasure trove of uh, uh, wildlife. Um natural beauty is absolutely up there man. It's it's probably the most beautiful place I've been to. I haven't been to Madagascar. Shrini tells me that Madagascar is uh, more beautiful, but he's not visited Borneo. Right, right. So the 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 jury is out on that. Um, so there's natural beauty. There's lots of mountains all over. There's beaches. There's rainforest. There's wildlife. There is uh, cultural history, which is like bone chilling, so to say. For instance, uh, like there's still a tribe of headhunters who are there. In fact, when I went there, I I was able to visit one place. It's a bit touristy now. Head hunting is no longer allowed, but I was able to visit one of the longhouses that they had um, mm-hmm. of the head hunting tribe. 
and they still have some heads i mean which uh-huh. have been passed out from uh, their by their forefathers have been passed down which are these heads shrunken human heads which are kind of hung outside the house wow um it's 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 just very strange it's a very very different kind of a, a an experience in bodh yeah that's about it it's it's a lot of wildlife a lot of culture a lot of things you've only read about you've not um, uh, seen it's just a very very different experience the jungle itself is it shows up throws up a, a very kaleidoscopic view if i may say so of life itself in its very essence and that's the beauty of it the orangutan for instance the way it's evolved the way life happened the way the Europeans and all the others suddenly found out that the species exists that is very close to man in terms of brain content and brain power that it can think and all of that it's a 99 plus percent of the human brain uh, power mm-hmm. is there in the orangutan in fact the name itself means uh, man of the jungle mm-hmm. and it's crazy they 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 they're so similar to us they built very differently of course but for instance their feet mm-hmm. i mean if you see them on the trees and i saw them it's fascinating their their feet are exactly like our hands so they can grip things right. with their feet they can move around there they build their own nests and stay in it mm-hmm. on top of trees they're not toilet trained so they kind of uh, do their uh, ablutions mm-hmm. on the nest but they don't know how to clean it mm-hmm. and therefore they build a nest stay in it once it becomes too stinky with their own whatever they shift go to another tree build another nest that's it ah So it's fascinating the way they are the mother takes care of the child and uh, uh, for for 5 6 years and then trains it how to uh, on survival in the jungle and then it lets it go and so on it's it's a very fascinating thing to watch these people but that's what it was it's a lot of culture i think it's less of wildlife of course there's a lot of wildlife but it's more about the culture and how the culture has been framed so to say by the jungle and wildlife in these places is the accommodation very comfortable are you going to be staying in the jungles or how yes how you stay in the jungle okay let me tell you about what i did there what i did is i i landed in uh, kuala lumpur and from there i flew into a place called kota kinabalu in the sabah province i landed in uh, kota kinabalu it's a very modern city here. Mm-hmm. and it's a uh, you've got enough number of hotels it's got a very nice airport small airport but a very nice airport and lots of bustle lots of the promenade and food joints and shopping and you know the regular So uh, I stayed there um went and had some traditional food all of them are bamboo cooked and all that so it was very very interesting food very distinct flavor very southeast asian mm-hmm. uh, in origin but far more spicy and all that mm. um then I went into one place where they have uh, collected all the tribes of Borneo there were a lot of tribes that used to exist there mm-hmm. some of them were river uh, tribes some of them were fishing tribes some uh, revered the crocodile Mm-hmm. uh and then the head hunting tribes okay. and all of them uh, there are these long houses that they've made inside one particular place for a cultural kind of an understanding of what this was about so i went there and hung around there for some time saw all of this saw some of the ceremonies their dances their song oh i did the i used the they used to use the blow gun to uh, mm. hunt their prey Okay. and i kind of used one of them and one of them was kind enough to give me enough time to use it so i i'm, I'm kind of i'm i'm okay with the blow gun now okay so if you're like uh, even let's say 50 meters away i can shoot you down oh wow okay so it was a fun thing to do there is this uh, the mount kinabalu that fantastic trek it's one of the few peaks which you can climb and climb up and down in two days Mm-hmm. no acclimatization nothing and it, it's fascinating so it requires some basic degree of fitness to climb mm-hmm. but it's fun it's great fun 
Okay. Um, so you go into one, of course, you've got to apply for it in advance. They, they don't they allow a certain number of people only up there on the peak. It's considered to be, uh, they, they revere it, the peak. In fact, uh, I went there and, and in the night, you reach uh, the base camp somewhere in the, in the evening or the night and you stay there, have an early dinner and go catch some sleep. At 1.30, they wake you up okay. and then you climb up. So it's not very dangerous, there are ropes on it and all of that. So you climb all the way on the top and the sunrise from there is outstanding. Okay. Do you need to go actually go with a guide or something or you could just trek all by yourself? Oh no, there, there are a bunch of people because it is a limited number of people okay. who go out. So you have to go in a group? You are only allowed within a group because okay. you are in a group out there. Most people go to see the sunrise. After that it gets very hot. So you walk, you climb up to, uh, during the night when you're, you only have your headlamps to light your way. Mm-hmm. I was very thankful after when I reached the top because once the sun rose and I had the majesty of that sight and all of that, when I looked down, I realized that if I'd seen this in broad daylight, I wouldn't have climbed. It's a fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a couple of days. It, you need to be reasonably fit. Um, otherwise, you might have a bit of an issue there. So, are there steps? No, no, no. There are steps no. in certain parts, but uh, most of them are, are slow. But there are ropes on the side, so you can hold the rope and go up. So, that's Mount Kinabalu, which you do from Kota Kinabalu. You go in and do that. And um, then there is, uh, of course, there's a Kinabalu National Park that is there. It's a, a it's a World Heritage Site. There you have the hanging bridge called the Jampatan Tampuruli. Mm-hmm. They've got a legend of uh, star-crossed lovers and one of them died because of this and so on. So there's a nice legend out there. Makes It's great fun to listen to that. There is a ropeway, there's a canopy walk that's there in the Kinabalu National Park where you can go on the top of the trees and see the jungle from the way a monkey would see it really so you're going okay. on top of that that's an interesting one um, then uh, of course Kinabalu is Mount Kinabalu is a must do uh, what else uh, there are the pouring hot springs out there what is that? Uh, those are hot springs they're supposed to have medicinal problem, medicinal value etc mm-hmm. but they're like uh, you know in these days of COVID you probably not want to go there because everyone is uh, you know kind of uh, bathing in the hot springs all together etc Okay. There are the private ones also where you can get in and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did venture into any of those. I went and saw it and, and then came back. Those are the pouring hot springs. There's a natural health spa in the middle of the tropical rainforest. And from there I moved on. Um, I didn't stay in any of these places. I stayed, stayed in Kota Kinabalu, did the Mount Kinabalu trek and then did all of this. And then I moved from there towards Sandakan. So just curious, since you talk about uh, this canopy walk and all, yeah. are there any tree houses per se down in the jungle? No. No tree houses there, okay. at least in this part. Okay. Not that I'm aware of, at least I didn't see any of them. And then uh, uh, went into Sandakan. Sandakan is the area of the jungle. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is fabulous tropical rainforest. It's thick jungle. In fact, the place that I stayed in, you could not. There was no access for that place from the land. So you stop at a particular place. You get off your vehicle at a particular place. Take your luggage get into a boat and the boat goes and takes you into this uh, place uh, that I stayed in. Okay. The forests are not supposed to be built upon because uh, it's forest land obviously. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is they've built everything on stilts. All the rooms are on stilts. The central restaurant area is on stilts. The walkways around is on stilts. So they're all wood. Yes, so in the night and it was fairly um, it was darkish by the time I reached there so I hadn't got my hang of the way etc for dinner I walked from my room that I was staying in I had to walk to the central restaurant area and it's on these uh, this uh, stilted pathway of wood mm-hmm. 
and suddenly below me i hear i see this huge uh, wild boar stampeding off wow you see birds out there so you're in the jungle you're built a little bit on top you're not on a tree house or anything it's just tilted so you're probably like say what couple of meters maybe 3 4 meters uh, above ground level on a still so you're able to see the jungle moving all along mm. as quite scared of snakes though yeah but um, uh, on each of the uh, stilts that they built they they've done a downward facing conical tin structure okay so that snakes can't climb up uh, okay so that's an interesting one and lap of luxury man lap of luxury i tell you uh, you know it's like what a somerset mom would talk about his south sea stories and his uh, colonial lifestyle where you have these large tubs which fill up with hot water for mm-hmm. the brown sahib or the bara sahib to take his bath and stuff mm-hmm. like that there there things like that the canopied beds and all of that i was traveling mm-hmm. all by myself and felt like a bit of a um, you know a huge loser in life this is a huge bungalow kind of thing it's only me who's sitting on <laughs> so so so, so you, one doesn't need to be too bothered about leeches and no 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 leeches right. and all that you need to be bothered about mosquitoes though this was on the bank of the kinabantan river i went off on an evening safari mm-hmm. a night safari so to say mm-hmm. um on the, on a canoe in the river and that was fascinating because you are suddenly starting to see the night life and all of that. Uh, i saw a reticulated python ah which was kind of coiled up on a branch above me so the guy stops the boat and then he says what do you see no he says look up So I look up at this massive reticulated python which is coiled up on that. I said, "Much I move, move the boat now if it falls." <laughs> But that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went and took another boat ride during the daytime uh, the next day, where you go up to a place called uh, uh, the Oxbow Lake, and it goes up and it forms an oxbow. Amazing number of birds out there. I'm not a huge birder, so I was just thinking Shrini should have been there. Correct. But amazing number of birds there and all that. Uh, oh, I, I saw the proboscis monkey. Ah, yeah, so heard the, a lot about it. Yeah, yeah, the proboscis monkey is, you know, what proboscis is, right? It's right. that uh, long tube that comes out of a butterfly's. Uh, that's how it sucks on nectar. So this monkey's nose is like a proboscis. Mm-hmm. So it's really big. It it kind of almost flaps onto uh, the monkey's mouth. Oh, okay. A nose far longer than yours. <laughs> so it's a really long nose, and it, they're very interesting creatures. So. They keep jumping from tree to tree and all of that. And in the evening, if you're getting in, they're settling in for the night. Okay, so the only things that they're scared about the predators there are the leopards, the clouded leopards, or the snakes. So the trees, it reminded me of skyscrapers in a city. Man, mm-hmm. you know, all the trees are full of these proboscis monkeys. Mm-hmm. Each male has its own his own family, and he's got a tree. Mm-hmm. And all the males are sitting facing the other side. just to ensure that if there's some leopard or mm. or predator who comes he can raise the uh, cord mm-hmm. and there's a monkey for every branch and they're all sitting so there are uh-huh. the females and the children there are the males and the males are at the strategic positions to call out for help and so on so beautiful absolutely them settling in for the night is like watching a bombay skyscraper mm. slowly the lights will start coming on and then the lights will start going off mm. late in the night it's exactly like that so the proboscis monkey specific to borneo yes they are only found here they are an endemic species okay and they're beautiful they're absolutely majestic to look at mm-hmm. um so those are the proboscis monkeys uh, i spotted proboscis monkeys i tried my level best to spot some pygmy elephants and nothing it didn't work here. Uh-huh. i didn't see them they're amazingly shy creatures so i didn't see them unfortunately and that happens to me when i go on these safaris trying to spot some tigers you know <laughs> i end up uh, you know 
heavily disappointed. Yeah, so. yeah. So in this case, I thought the pygmy elephants would be around, and I don't know. In my mind, I thought I'll be lucky enough. I've spotted tigers most of the time that I've gone into the woods. Lucky you. Yeah, but luck didn't fail fail me here, man. Okay. So. Anyway, so that was one. Um, what else did I do? I yeah, so there are lots of gibbons that I saw. There were hornbills out there. The morning you wake up to the sound of the hornbill. Place of stay itself was beautiful because uh, I, I found it to be fascinating to be living on stilts, the walkways on stilts, and in the middle of the forest. Lack of luxury. You get anything that you want. You even get beer out there. Ah, I went into this place called the Gomantong uh, Reserve Forest Reserve. So it's a mini ecosystem inside a cave. Okay. So what happens is there are these swifts that are. It's a home to millions of bats, really, mm. and swiftlets. The floor again. You're walking on a stilted uh, wooden pathway. When once you enter the cave, it's a huge cave, huge as in it's like massive. Okay, um, and uh, the ceiling is really, really high, skyscraper like. Mm-hmm. And you walk inside on these wooden. It's a natural heritage, UNESCO uh, heritage site. Mm-hmm. You walk inside on these stilted platform on the stilted pathway. And on the ground below, you see nothing. It's just ground. Suddenly, let's say a drop of water falls on it. The whole ground moves. Wow! There are literally millions of cockroaches there. Ah, oh, God! I'll never go to this place, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's great fun. So basically, the cockroaches, the bats are there. Mm-hmm. The bats eat fruit, etc., and come in. Now there are bat droppings that fall here. Mm-hmm. The cockroaches thrive on those bat droppings. Mm-hmm. On the cockroaches, there are lizards and there are spiders all all over. The Mm-hmm. There are also the swifts who come in, and they come in and lay eggs. Now the way they lay eggs is they create these nests on the walls with their spit. Then they lay their eggs out there. The birds grow and then they fly away and then the nest is abandoned. These bird nests are supposed to be a huge delicacy in China. Bird nests are a huge export item uh, in Burundi. So that's the only thing you are allowed to remove from there. You don't. You can't remove even a, a gram of the bat dung that is there below. You can't take a cockroach out from there. Nothing. Legally, you're not allowed to do anything. So the damn thing smells from a mile away. You can smell the place because it's all dung, right? Mm-hmm. But it's fabulous fertilizer. Mm-hmm. But nothing can be removed from it. So, so when you get into this cave, when when the guide is actually, you know, briefing you about it, yeah. does he actually show a torch and you know? How does he go about explaining things? How how did you get to know about all this? Oh yes, there is a torch. You can shine a floodlight, and you can see where the so, bats so are. So the bats and all are okay. They don't just fly off. No, they don't. They don't. This is really tall, man. Okay. The the ceiling would be like the height of a skyscraper, a twenty floor skyscraper. Wow. So the the light, and you just see a fleeting glimpse of it. Mm-hmm. And there's spiders, and there are lizards, and there are all kinds of things that survive in this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Take any one of them out, Kishan. And the whole ecosystem collapses. Mm-hmm. Let's say the bats don't come here again. Right. There's no dung. There are no cockroaches. There are no cockroaches. There are no spiders and lizards. There are no spiders and lizards. There are no birds that come in over there. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing collapses. That's why it's called a mini so, ecosystem. So the birds feed on spiders, isn't it? The birds feed on these insects and all these things that are there. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, the, and plus it is such a high wall. This is the best place for them to keep these inaccessible mm-hmm. uh, bird nests, right? So they come here and they've been coming here for many centuries. So that's the Gomantong Forest mm-hmm. is a must do really I think uh, despite the smell. Yeah. A person a Britisher I think who was with me at that time he couldn't handle the smell in like what 5 minutes after we entered the cave and he just ran up. Okay. And he waited for me outside just the two of us were going there. Mm-hmm. That was there. Yes. Uh, ah, the Sepilok uh, I almost forgot that man. 
there's the Sepilog Forest Reserve. This is the a reserve that was created to help the endangered orangutan species. So they would carry these baby orangutans to the Sepilog sanctuary. They would bring in the abused orangutans, adult orangutans back here and help them get over their fear and so on. A training methodology which is fabulous of how they tra- train the, just like a mother orangutan would train a baby orangutan, they train them on how to get food, how to forage for food, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's probably got one of the best uh, uh, rehabilitation uh, percentages. Orangutans from the wild, rescued orangutans being reintroduced uh, into the wild. Why do they get into that state of being rescued? What happens to them? So there's a lot of poaching that happens. Okay. A lot of locals uh, pull out these, uh, I mean, capture these orangutans and take them home and keep them as pets, tie them up and keep even them. now. Yeah, used to. Okay. Now it is illegal. Okay. But even now, once in a while, from some remote village, they catch hold of some orangutans and bring them. They keep them as pets, they get them to do manual labor. The palm oil plantations that used to happen there is the biggest threat to the orangutan population. Mm. When palm oil became such a big thing, most of the forests were cleared and palm oil plantations were created there. So their natural habitat was lost to the orangutans. Plus, they used to catch these orangutans and make them climb up the trees and do all the manual labor there. Mm. Because they're intelligent creatures, mm. right? And beat them into submission, etc. It was it's a very sad thing, a very sad story that they mm. And then, so that's where you you kind of rescue them. So when the adult is taken away, the baby is left out there. It's an abandoned uh, orangutan baby. That's rescued and brought back. Mm-hmm. Fabulously run, very well run um, uh, reserve, the Sepilok Reserve. Then I did that and then took a flight back into Kota Kinabalu. Mm-hmm. I drove down to Sandakan, but I took a flight back to Kinabalu. Sandakan has an airport and it's a very nice small town. There are very, very nice uh, old British tea house in one place where they served big cucumber sandwiches and buttered scones and stuff like that. I felt quite the barasab. <laughs> so it's got a fabulous view of the city. So on the way to the airport, I went and had tea there and then came into the airport, took a, a flight back to Kinabalu because I was already running late on time. I had what, 10, 11 days for the place and I was already nearing the end of it. I spent so much of time uh, dawdling around in the jungle and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, came back to Kinabalu and then one of the things I wanted to do, which I went and did, um, the Borneo Reef World is the largest uh, reef pontoon in Southeast Asia. There, there's a lot of snorkeling among the coral reefs and all of that. There's a marine park out there, which is fairly interesting. Did you do snorkeling? Yeah, I did. I don't know swimming, but I still did. Yeah, that's why I, that's yeah. why I asked the question. Yeah, I still did it, man. <laughs> it, it's, it's just a question of holding your <laughs> breath and saying, if God has to take me, he will take me. <laughs> I didn't do too much of snorkeling. I did a little bit and then came back and sat and drank beer while the others went in. Uh, nice place to laser on in the Sapi Island that's there. Very nice, white, sandy beaches. Lots of beer. And that's it. And then uh, came back to Kota Kinabalu. The next day, I um, uh, took a flight back into Kuala Lumpur. So how many days do you, would you suggest? I, I, I mean... I know that you've you've been there. You would have spent a good number of. Uh, so I take a lot of time in places. I I like to sit in a place. I like to spend my time drinking beer in some small cafe, talking to locals and all that. Uh, so I took about eleven days here. Wow. Um, but typically, I think you should be able to do it in about seven odd days. Keep a week. Lesser than a week would be too rushed. Because typically, when a person gets down to Malaysia, they do the normal things, right? When yeah. You, you end up going to Kuala Lumpur. Perhaps do Malacca. Yeah. Um, there is another island, right? Uh, to recollect. Are you talking uh, Penang? Penang. And this, uh, is there something else down in Malaysia which, which has been closed down now? In the Selangor region? 
where you have fireflies etc typically when people get into malaysia they go in and do um kuala lumpur malacca which is close by so there's penang there's langkawi there's selangor these are the places people go to mm-hmm. uh, i'm not i don't have anything against them i actually love malacca it's a lovely little colonial town that is out there it's just one and a half two hours away by road from uh, kuala lumpur beautiful place so can one drive down from any one of these places down to uh, borneo no, or no. you need to fly it it's better to take a flight okay. it's a one one and a half hour flight i think okay uh and uh, you can drive down to penang and all of that but uh, ideally just take a flight it's fast simpler and for very cheap flights yeah. okay now how how expensive is this place and it's malaysia but still this sounds it's not very expensive kinabalu is uh, kota kinabalu is not expensive at all mm-hmm. mount kinabalu trek is a bit of an expense but it's well worth it the jungle reserve in sandakan if you stay in that property that i was staying in then it's expensive mm-hmm. but If there are enough other options that you can do to to do those uh, trips down the uh, river and those uh, uh, canoe safaris and all of that, and the Oxbow Lake and everything. So there's enough opportunities, options, and budget ranges that you get. Okay. Now, if I were to ask you three standout experiences, what would that what would that be? For me, the Gomantong Cave, the Sepulok uh, Orangutan Sanctuary, mm-hmm. and the Proboscis Monkey were the big ones. Okay. Okay. Now, the reason these three are big ones is I can only do it in this place. Mm-hmm. In a Borneo, it is only uh, it's only in Borneo you can see the proboscis monkey. Right. It's only here that you can go to that orangutan sanctuary and see an orangutan and mm-hmm. uh, interact with uh, them. Not interact with them as in physically, mm-hmm. but from outside you can see how they're being trained and so on. Um, it's only in Borneo that you can go and uh, um, uh, try and spot the pygmy elephant, which I didn't unfortunately. Mm-hmm. The Gomantong Cave. Similarly, it's only in Borneo that I could have experienced this. I've done enough and more of um, various other countries, but I've never seen something like this before. Mm-hmm. Staying in the jungle, the stilted house, etc., is something that you can experience in other jungles, also. I guess. How do you suggest uh, we uh, one gets up to Borneo? Simple man. So one is to take get into the Indonesian side of uh, Borneo. Where you get into a Bali and then take a flight, get into Kalimantan and and uh, go around there. The other option is to come in and the one that I took was the Kuala Lumpur route. Mm-hmm. So you reach Malaysia. I would suggest spend a couple of days, for instance, in the initial period. I mean, if you've never been to Malaysia and you like cities, go around Kuala Lumpur. Not much to do there beyond a couple of days. Yeah. Head out to Malacca. Stay a couple of days in Malacca. It's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. so if you have a yen for. uh culture and history and all that it's a fantastic place to be and then fly into kota kinabalu fly down to sandakan spend your time in the jungles and the forests out there come back i did not visit a place in the south called kuching mm-hmm. kuching is also about jungle and it's very different texture of jungle is what they told me i have not been there but that's in the south you could do that also another flight away and from there come back into kl now the the flight timings are not extremely convenient Okay, so you will have some amount of time in KL. So I would suggest that you stay in KL. Mm-hmm. Maybe do Langkawi if you want, just okay. to get out of this whole thing and go relax in a beach for some time. Mm. And so a couple of weeks, Malaysia and Borneo, fabulous trip. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kishan, for having me here. Thanks for tuning in. Do come back for more such experiences to the Beyond Experiences Travel Podcast. Take care. Stay safe. Have fun. And whatever else you do, don't trip on the usual.